Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We start today with Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson. The county gets less public attention than the city, but it's actually more responsible for dealing with the biggest issues that the region is facing right now. It has more direct control of the Joint Office of Homeless Services. It's also more focused on behavioral health issues like substance use disorder and mental illness. Last week, Multnomah County Commissioners approved a $3.5 billion budget for the next fiscal year. Chair Vega Peterson joins us to talk about all of this. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. I want to start with the news that the county only spent less than half of money allocated for Metro's Supportive Housing Services Fund over a recent nine-month period. That was just the most recent report. But Willamette Week back in March reported sort of the same thing for the first half of the fiscal year, for six months. What did you do when you first learned about that underspending? Yes. As soon as I learned about the underspending, the latest underspending, I released a letter. And it really had um, three concrete steps. And I mean, first of all, the letter was just like, this is unacceptable. It's not the expectations that that I have. It's not the expectations that the taxpayers have for how we need to be using these dollars um, to get them out to the community. You know, the performance is not meeting um, the needs of our community and the expectations that I have. So I wanted to make sure that we were really clear on the things that that we needed to do in order to change this around. And the first one was really to um, come together with the short-term funding opportunities that we had to get this money directly out into the community as soon as possible. And this is something that um, the Joint Office is putting together in consultation with my staff. We've engaged the city in these conversations. We've engaged my board and, of course, Metro in these conversations as well as, like, what are our biggest opportunities to get the money out the door right away? We're still, you know, we're, we're still working on that plan. But um, a part of that was also my commitment to being collaborative as we're making these decisions, as we're making these investments to really look beyond just what's needed and, and overall. If I may interrupt, so mm-hmm. y- I'm a little bit confused about the timing. You're saying that the letter that I think you're talking about just came out recently, right? But but didn't you know about this now three months ago? The underspending is basically, the, it's the same 50% spending, but we knew that back in March. Yeah. So what we did in March was to um, take the $40 million of identified underspending and program that into my budget for the FY24 year. So that or, that original one, we just got to work right away saying, how can we put this money um, to use as, we're, as we were already like in the process of building the budget for FY24, which starts July 1st. So, so we, what you're so, talking about now is how to spend this this money be in, the, in the next couple weeks, essentially. How, how we can get the money... Um, allocated how we can get it um, as much of it as possible out the door as soon as possible. Some of it will obviously roll over for into the next fiscal year too. But but it wasn't just about programming the money, although that's a really important piece. And like I said, we're, we, I want to have um, this done in collaboration. I think it was also looking at what are the obstacles and the barriers that we have right now for getting that money out the door. And that's about right the providers, right? That's the challenges that the providers are having, which I hear loud and clear. And I recognize that there are things that we need to be doing 
doing better in the joint office to do that. And there's been a lot of reporting by OPB and other sources um, about that recently. And the, the two things that I've seen most often from service providers are that contracts don't allow high enough pay to actually hire people to do these jobs. In fact, they say that the county pays more for similar jobs than they're able to pay. And that the contracts require work to be done before the nonprofits can actually get their money. They have to be reimbursed, sometimes, you know, a lot of money that they don't have up front after they've done the work. Do you agree with these two items that have been brought up by providers? Oh, absolutely. And there has been uh, commitment by myself and our board to really address both the wage issue and the contracting issue. And I will say for the wage issue, you know, this year um, across all of our departments, we've invested an 8% COLA just in this fiscal year Cost budget. of living adjustment. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for calling out the acronym. Cost of living adjustment. Um, and that is for funding that we're doing through our general fund dollars. That's also for providers who are paid through our supportive housing service measure dollars. Um, that builds on a uh, 7% cost of living adjustment that we had in last fiscal year, fiscal year 23. So we're really looking to make these investments um, and as we're looking at what we can do with some of this additional um, underspending that we have, looking at how we can set up opportunities, like a grant opportunity, for instance, for providers um, that will allow them to use that for wages, for benefits, for technical assistance. And this is something that we're looking to partner with our philanthropic community to help get these money out the doors, because I think they, they can be a really good part of the solution as well. In the letter that you put out recently, um, one of the solutions uh, that you mentioned is this, quote, engage a consultant with national expertise in system performance, effective distribution of funds, and process improvement for social and healthcare programs to advise about organizational and structural changes to improve service delivery. It's, you know, this is bureaucratic language, but what I hear is we're going to spend maybe significant amounts of taxpayer money to figure out effective ways to spend taxpayer money. Do you really need to do that? Yes, we, we do need to do that. Because if we were being successful with getting money out the door already, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a problem. And I think... But, and, but we just, I mean, you know, providers say we actually, it's pretty clear what we need to do. Just give us more money and, and give us more money up front and we will do the important work. I mean, th those are things that you've said that you agree with. I I'm just wondering what else you need an expert to come in to tell you to do. Yeah, I think that there are some longstanding issues with the Joint Office of Homeless Services, how it was set up, how it was started off as a, like a very small offshoot that was run under the chair's department. It's only in the last years, a couple years, been part, made its own department that's really a part of the larger structure of the county. There are there are things that are missing, I think, in its structure. I think there are improvements that can be made throughout it. And what we want to do is we want to bring in um, people who are who are the smartest, in, you know, in the country and, and doing these things. We've actually already engaged James Schroeder and Healthcare Management Associates to come in and to create the 90-day plan that really is looking at evaluation of our current operations, the processes and the outcomes that are going to be used. And they've actually started working already and engaging with partners to have this conversation. So it's it's the things that we can improve with the joint office um, internally and um, things that we need to do, as well as how we can be working better and more effectively with our with our partners. So let's turn to the Joint Office of Homeless Services. It's this partnership between the city of Portland and, and the county. Even though um, both 
chambers. You know, the, the county and city leaders both recently voted to continue the partnership for another year. Two city council members had pretty negative things to say about it publicly. Rene Gonzalez told the Oregonian, I asked myself, with all the money going to the county, are taxpayers getting the outcomes they're paying for? My take, he said, taxpayers are getting a bad deal on the joint office. And Mingus Maps wrote this in a statement. It's incredibly difficult to support an extension for the Joint Office of Homeless Services. The office has had drastic underspending, a lack of investment in drug addiction services and residential treatment, and record numbers of people suffering on our streets. We urgently need detox, sobering, and treatment, and I am not confident they can deliver with urgency. What's your response to these city commissioners? You know, I think that they are saying things that I would agree with in terms of our ability to get the money out the door, right? That was the conversation that you and I were just having about the need to do a better job of doing this, the need to focus. I think a lot of what I hear, and not not just from Councilors Maps and Gonzalez, but also with everybody I talk to at the city, is really this feeling that for a long time they haven't been engaged in the work of the joint office. They haven't had a say in how some of the, the tens of millions of dollars that they're investing are going to and the priorities that they have haven't been addressed. And so that's something that I am committed and working to change. And I have been ever since Election Day. Um, but how much control are you willing to give up? I mean, my understanding is that um, the county, we call this a joint office, but the county has way more power, puts more money into these services and has a lot more say into how the money is spent. You're talking about collaboration. And that's one of the key words you describe. And, and in subtle or not so subtle ways, I, I, you've been basically saying that you're going to do a better job at including other voices, other elected leaders from the city or elsewhere in in decision making. But in the end, somebody is going to have to vote for these things. And I also get the sense that you, you don't want to have the city have veto power over joint office but total budgeting. So what do you mean when you say that this is going to be a collaboration? Just like, you know, that – I've been making policies and designing programs for, for, you know, 10 years now in these kinds of roles is you have to have everyone at the table as you're talking about how to make these um, decisions. I think we can do a much better job of being transparent about how we are engaging with the city and, and also with my board in the ideas and the um, types of investments that we want to see to make sure that we're reaching the goals that we have for our supportive housing services measure plans, um, as well as the needs that we see in the city and the county. And so that's, that's what I mean by that. I do think that we can have more public forums where we're talking about those types of investments. Ultimately, the Multnomah County Board is responsible for for passing and voting on our budget. Um, We also have the responsibility of getting those supportive supportive housing services measures out the door as well. So that is something that that rests with us. That's our responsibility. But that doesn't mean that we can't be collaborative, that we can't be consultative, and that we can't take, um, you know, into into consideration the priorities that the city has as well. What would be lost if this now, what, six or seven year old partnership were dissolved? I think it would be a huge loss in terms of our ability to respond cohesively to all of the issues that we have when we talk about the crisisness, um, the humanitarian crisis on our streets. And and I will say that I do think that in order to be able to invest in and solve those problems, we do have to have the collaboration between the city and the county, right? There are roles that they have in terms of, um, you know, as establishing, you know, um, where people can camp and where they can't. They have the public safety response function. They are able to, um, you know, 
um, be responsible and see things in a different way than than we do. But we need everybody at the table as we're talking about um, the investments we make, the solutions that we need to see, and and be making everyone successful. You know, even before the Joint Office of Homeless Services was created, um, the city and the county both independently were putting you know millions of dollars into our homelessness system. The city was doing the adult single population, and the county was doing families and couples. And I don't think we want to go back to that divided system. I think it should be able to work better with us at the table together um, making these investments. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking right now with Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson. You mentioned one of the city's roles here in um, in crafting rules regarding when and where people can sleep outside. Do you support the new daytime camping ban that the city just passed? You know, one of the things about this ban is that I know it is going to require very frequent um, collaboration um, and open collaboration between the city agencies, between Multnomah County departments, between our service providers, between homeless advocates, in terms of the impact of what this will do. I, we we already have had conversations, and I've directed my staff to start working on what does this mean in terms of places where we know people will show up if they aren't able to to be in their um, in their tents or, or with their belongings during the day. So we're having that conversation around libraries, around what does our, our day um, shelter access look like, all of these things. Well, what have you heard from all of those people? And this is just the county side. There's also the, you know, the, the nonprofit side. But more, I, I'm asking because when, when we talked about this last week with two social service providers, they, they were expecting a disaster. They were expecting more people to show up for, uh, during the day when they don't have the people or places for them. What have you heard from county level people? Yeah, it, there, it's a huge concern. We're, we're looking at, like I said before, the libraries and the impact of libraries. Are they going to have an influx of people coming in that are that are just looking for a place to go, um, but who aren't necessarily there for, you know, for library purposes? Are we going to see this at the Behavioral Health Resource Center that we've recently you know, been able to actually get at a level of, of service and response um, that, that works for the system and works for the people that are there really well? Um, so this is a huge concern as, as we're talking to folks at the county. I mean, it seems like you are politely saying you don't think this is a good policy. You know, I think Commissioner Rubio was actually very prudent in how she described it when she was opposing this, and that that until we have more shelter sites, until we have expanded capacity for these kind of day services, um, that getting um, all of these resources in place before a ban takes into place um, seems to be the right thing to do. I think I think there's a lot of concern is that um, just like we saw with with measure 110, this enforcement is going to happen, but we're not going to have the the services that come behind it to really help out. In recent years, um, people in Multnomah County have been getting more rental assistance, more people have been moved into supportive housing and in emergency shelters. Um, but Unsheltered homelessness remains an enormous problem. I'm curious what what your metric for success or failure is. I mean, how will you know personally that what you're doing as arguably the most powerful elected person um, who has direct control over these issues, more powerful in some ways than than the mayor? And I, I would argue in a lot of ways. How do you know that you're on the right track or on the wrong track? That is a great question. We know that we are seeing increasing numbers of people experiencing homelessness. Um, For me, success looks like our ability to ramp up 
the services that we're providing, the shelters and the housing placements that we're doing, that we have an effective system that is actually getting people safely off the streets into shelters, but then um, moving them you know, directly or, or quickly, I would say, into a permanent housing, and that they are able to stay in that pers- permanent housing for a long period so that they're successful there. And, and I think we also need to see um, a difference in our communities, right? We need to see um, that people are who are living unsheltered homeless right now are in safer places that are in places where they can actually get connected to service, connected housing placements. That's what success looks like. How worried are you that, that what you're talking about can't happen fast enough to prevent what seems to be a growing backlash among even progressive Portlanders who are increasingly fed up? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think people are feeling frustrated. I think they've been feeling frustrated for a while. So I think that is there now. And and we just need to recognize it. I mean, it's frustrating for me when I see people who are experiencing homelessness in my neighborhood. Um, You know, for a while, we had a bunch of RVs that were in front and I was, you know, struggling to get people connected to to services and things. So I understand that frustration. And I understand people are, um, you know, at a point where they may be losing patience. That's why for me, it's so important that we are taking advantage of this opportunity where we have a new Multnomah County chair, we have a new governor, we do have resources available, we have a new, um, you know, we have a new system of collaboration together. And, and we have a new joint office director in Dan Fields, we have leadership in place who is able to make changes, we are committed to making those changes and doing so transparently and with urgency. And, and I think this is a moment of hope. It's really like an inflection point where we can we have this opportunity to do things better and do things differently. And that's what we're going to take advantage of. I want to turn to some of the behavioral health issues um, that the county also uh, has a really significant role in, in addressing, starting with um, substance use disorder and, and overdoses. What are you doing specifically to respond to fentanyl? Yeah, I mean, the the severity of the, the drug crisis that we're seeing on our streets is really intense. It's something that we haven't seen. I mean, I was in Portland when we had um, the heroin epidemic. We we went through the opioid epidemic, but we're, we're in something different right now with fentanyl and, and even with the types of meth that we're seeing right now. Um, one of the things that we've done is in partnership with the city, we allocated um, – money towards unity to have nine additional um, sobering beds that are coming online in early 2024. This was a big piece because we know that when Hooper Detox closed in 2019, it was mainly there set up to serve people who were needed to sober from alcohol. But that's not what we were seeing. That's not where the need was. So when we have people who are in crisis who needs a place to go, we want to make sure that there is a there is an option for them. I want to, um, you know, I think our um, hospital emergency departments have done a great job of stepping up and filling that gap now, but we know that it's needed there. So that is one of those things. We're also moving forward with our, the Behavioral Health Crisis Network, or Beacon, as it's often called, um, and looking at how we can actually um, make investments for um, the county and the city, as well as our healthcare partners in in putting in the pieces in place to set up this this response network, right? So we're putting, we're going to be putting out a request for um, information for folks to say, like, these are the things that we can do right now to build on those pieces. And that's built on the on the beacon plan that we have, um, that's been, you know, in in creation for the last couple of years. What were the hardest decisions that you had to make in crafting the new budget, the $3.5 billion budget? You know, we have about 30% of the American Rescue Plan dollars that to, to work with this year than we did in years past. And those 
dollars had been put to use doing things that we know are critically important for our community, whether that was rental assistance, whether that was gun violence intervention and prevention, um, whether that was actually like funding some of our, our jail dorms, right? Like we were actually using those monies in really critical ways. Um, the toughest part of, of making this budget was really in figuring out um, how do we make some of the harder decisions about what to cut, what to fund with general fund dollars. And um, and we had to make some, some really tough decisions. I will say that one of the hardest ones for me was family resource navigators, which were actually placed in our schools to help family as they were navigating this time. Um, luckily, we had some additional dollars that we were able to use. And through a budget amendment process that um, Commissioner Rosenbaum brought forward, we were able to, to get those back because I know that our families and our schools really rely on that. Um, but that work is going to continue. I mean, this is our last year of ARP dollars. So next year, um, we're going to have to do the same thing. So for me, it's important that as we're as we're doing this work, as we're having these programs over the next years to really be um, use scrutiny and making decisions about those that are being most valuable to our community and those that that are having the results we need to continue investing. Finally, I want to follow up on something we've talked about a couple times in the past, uh, the preschool for all. Um there are going to be 1,400 available preschool slots uh, for Preschool for All in the coming school year. It's a doubling from this past year. But a 2018 study found that there were more than 10 times that number of three- and four-year-olds in the county. How are you going to ramp up that much more in just seven years? Yeah, this is where these these first years of like the pilot of preschool all have been so important because it's about engaging with providers to get them ready to come on board as preschool for all to expand their capacity. We are working closely with our community colleges and funding scholarships and having them do programs to grow the workforce because we know that's a huge need. And we are investing in um, facilities. So the bricks and mortar of just building more places to have preschools and being able to expand um, the, the and, and provide technical assistance for people so that they're able to to do that. All of these are like really core things. We knew they were the challenges when we started preschool for workforce, wages, facilities. Um, and that is why we are um, looking at um, how we can we can continue this work to build on that capacity. We're actually 20% down in Multnomah County in terms of child care providers than we were when we started preschool for all before the pandemic. So we know we have our work cut out for them, um, for us as we do this. But I will say that um, one of the things that I've also asked um, our, our preschool for all staff and our finance team to do is take a really good look at some of the assumptions and some of the data we were looking at when we were creating preschool for all and update that for 2023 and beyond. So as we get to the universal goal, we know exactly what we need to have in place to get there. So, so a good plan and a lot of people who are dedicated to seeing this be successful. Chair Vega-Peterson, thanks very much. All right. Thank you, Dave. Great to be here. Jessica Vega-Peterson is the Multnomah County Chair.